Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. And good morning, everyone. Good to see you today on this beautiful uh, Sunday morning in Terre Haute, Indiana. We have a few... Uh, Storms last night, but nevertheless, this morning, things appear to be dried off and the sun appears to be coming out. Uh, I'm grateful and thankful that we have a, uh, a temperature change. That's always a good thing. I wanted to uh, start this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever been thrust into something to do that you had no inclination to do, nor had any idea it was going to happen? Sometimes that happens to us, and we just have to adapt and overcome. And uh, from that point, um, we're, we, we talk about it later and say, well, you know, I was baptized under fire. A lot of people said that before, baptized under fire. And I've often wondered what that meant. Uh, nevertheless, uh, there's, there's many meanings to that. Uh, and this morning, I want to uh, talk with you uh, in our sermon series, What About the Church of Christ?, uh, being baptized into one body, because I think we misinterpret sometimes what all the different stages of baptism are, what they mean, and why they are in motion for us. And if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we will uh, scroll down to verse 12. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. And as we begin there, the Apostle Paul uh, captions the idea here that we all have the same type of body, and even though they might look a little bit different, they all look the same as well. And beyond that, every body has many parts to it. And he's not just talking about the human body, he's talking about bodies of people as well. And so here he begins by saying that the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form just one body. So it is, he says, with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, hold that thought in your mind for a minute. He says, now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there are one body. And that means that even though we're all different, the thing is that God wants us to be like-hearted and like-minded because of the spirit of His that He has placed within us. And even though, again, we're different, 
We might have difference of opinion. We might interpret things differently. We might even have different gifts and abilities, which we all do. We're still part of the same body, and all are necessary. I have never met anyone in this lifetime who liked the idea of having some part of their body removed or amputated as it, comes, as it relates to the human body. Uh, people have lived doing it, and they've had to go through it for a variety of reasons, but nobody desires it or wants it. And I've heard of phantom pain, where you had a limb that has been uh, removed or a part of your body extracted, and you have pain there, even though doctors say, well, it's not there. It can't cause pain. But friends, we don't understand the central nervous system nearly as much as we should. And because of that, uh, that's why there might be these phantom pains. If someone has a pain, they have a pain. Even if you think it's a... uh, a cerebral thing, or it's a, it's a mental thing, or it's just, you know, what they feel or think, they still have it. It's relevant. And so, as I consider that, it's obvious that the body of believers, when someone is missing or uh, is extracted or isn't there and God's called them to that body, there's, there's a phantom pain uh, in the kingdom. Even if the people around don't feel it, God does. That's the thing. So, we have to remember that the body does have many parts. He says that in verse 21, that the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. In fact, the weaker part of the body is still indispensable, regardless or not. Uh, Some people have said, well, you know, we don't really need our appendix. Well, yeah, that's true. Today we don't, but at one time it was necessary. Even so, I'm not going to run out and have my appendix removed. You know, and I've known people that live completely healthy lives after it's been removed. But according to history and what we know about mankind, if we were to begin to eat like we did years and years and years ago with raw meats and things like that, well, now all of a sudden we would miss that body part tremendously. You see, friends, this is what God is trying to say. The minimal parts of the body still have a reason for being there, and they are indispensable, and that's important for us to know. And he says that the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And as I considered the words from the Apostle Paul, I realized that the kingdom of heaven is called many different things. And those things in it are also called many different things along with it. Heaven's terminology is clear of what God has determined everything is. And in doing so, God has shown us just how important the church of Christ is. It's important because God says it is. And we won't think it's important unless it becomes important to us or unless we become like-hearted with God. So there are several terms that God uses as it relates to the church. It's called the vineyard, the sheepfold, and sometimes the elect. And we differ sometimes on what those terms mean. But all of these terms give different views of what God calls the one church, because there's only one church. 
Now, now I know this morning that there are pastors preaching all, all around our city and all around our state and uh, our country and in different time zones and in parts of the world, uh, whether they've, ha they've not done it yet or they will later around this time. And the reason is because there's lots and lots and lots of churches in the world. But if they're a Christian church, they belong to the one church. We're all one because God says so. And we talked about that in the last several weeks. But as a convened assembly, it's just simply called the church. As a governed body of people, it's a kingdom. Why? Because there's one king and God is the one who rules it. And as a group of people who are dedicated to worshiping God, it has been called a temple or a synagogue or simply a church building, which is what we are worshiping in today. As a people of special possession, we belong to Christ, and that possession of His has been called a family. Henceforth, we're a, the family of God, and we're a church family. And several people have said, I am closer to my church family than I am to my biological family. That happens often. Why? Because we get along together better. Why do we? Because the Spirit of God is within us and it recognizes it in other people. So that draws us together into a family. Paul simply calls it the body. So let's take a look at what the body is and how and why we are baptized into it. Number one, if you're in Christ, you're in the church. Now, I'm, I'm repeating what I've said over the last several weeks, but I want to review briefly because I don't think people quite get that sometimes. Notice that salvation is completely in Christ. In fact, there's no other way to get salvation. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In fact, the Bible says a lot about this, this particular issue. And the reason it does is that people come up with all sorts of ways that salvation is possible. And the reason for this, my friends, I think, is, is because uh, we want to think that just believing that there's a God and just believing that there's a Christ, that this is all really this necessary. And God says, well, listen, it takes a little bit more than that. You, you can believe in me and you can believe in the Son, but unless you act upon it, well, that's no belief at all. There's requirements involved in this thing. And, and look what the, what the Scripture says about it. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 uh, verse 3 that all blessings of the gospel are not only realized in Him, and then he says in 2 Corinthians that if any person is in Christ, they're a new creation. In Colossians and Galatians, he said that Christ uh, is in whom we have redemption. In Colossians 2, we find you are complete only in Him. And Colossians 1 says, for God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in Him. You see, friends, if you're going to be part of the church, belief in God, belief in Christ isn't enough. Because if you truly believe in those things, then His Spirit will be in you and it will compel you to do more than that. In fact, the Bible says that even the demons believe and they tremble. Why? Because they know because they are separated from the family of angels that they were originally uh, uh, brought into in creation, that now they're separated and their destination eternally is very different than those who stayed with God. It's the same for humanity. So believing is not enough because if you believe, you'll be obedient. And if you're obedient, you will do the things that God has said you will do. And when you do, 
that brings you closer to Him and to those who are in Christ with you. Secondly, since all blessings are in Christ, well, then how do we receive them? Again, the Bible is clear. Romans 6 and Galatians 3 contain the answer. They say, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? See, I don't think we realize that our baptism is actually in death because we're all about life. All of us is. All of us are. But the fact of the matter is, baptism is actually identifying in the death with Christ. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. But he goes on to say, we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life for which all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, saying that, what Paul is alluding to is that this is the key to what we have to understand here today. We cannot confuse, friends, water baptism with baptism of the Spirit. Now, I want that in your head for a minute. Some people say, well, they're one and the same. Yes, they are, but they're also different. Baptism of the Spirit and baptism in water are the same, and yet they're different. Again, I'm going to explain that. First, when we get saved, we're automatically baptized by the Holy Spirit, and that in turn gives us the desire and command to be baptized with water. You understand? God did an inward work within us, and when He did it, it's our desire to be baptized with water because, first of all, He commanded it. That's obedience. Secondly, He did it. Uh, John the Baptist did it for him, and it, it is the immersion, even though we don't have to do it that way, it's preferred, and there might be reasons we don't, but immersion identifies it's the same thing as like when Christ went to the grave, He rose to life, came out of the grave, and then resurrected into the new body that we're all going to have. When we are immersed in the water, we're identifying with that same practice where we're coming, it's almost like we're coming back out of the grave where we're dead in our transgressions and coming back out with a clean slate, white as snow. That's what baptism in water means, but it couldn't happen without baptism of the Spirit. Does that make sense? I hope it does because that's exactly what Jesus said it did. And if He wants us to do it, we should do it. And didn't He go do it? There's a reason by which it takes place. That's what water baptism is. It just means we've been born again, we've received this new life while here on earth, and there are several ways that we prove this by the Spirit. Baptism is one of them. God's plan with this also reconciles us all together, Jews and Gentiles, into one body. No matter what your background is, what your creed is, what your race is, you know, where, where you come from, none of that matters. Because when you come to Christ, you're all one and the same. And the reason is that Jesus gave Himself for the body. And He did so to sanctify us by His Word. Now, I want you to put that in your mind. He did it to sanctify us by His Word. And the only way that the Word can sanctify us is if we are obedient to it. I mean, the Word does nothing if you're not obedient to it. I mean, it, when you go to work someplace, uh, most companies have some sort of employee handbook. And they outline in that handbook all of the things that are required, all the things that you are expected to do, as well as all of the things and the behaviors that you're not expected to do, in fact, that you shouldn't do. And if you don't follow that book, what happens? If you're not obedient to that book, what happens? 
Well, <laughs> you're probably going to be called into the office or somewhere and, and probably going to be told about it. Some things, there's no warnings. It's, it, it's, it's done. It's over. Kaput. Other things, you might get a warning, maybe once, twice, maybe not that much, maybe three times. Who knows? But eventually, if you refuse to be obedient to the handbook, probably going to part ways because obedience is paramount. This is what God is trying to say. We have to be obedient to the Word of God that He intends and desires to sanctify us. Now, this is a word that we've got to get a handle on today because we've talked about it a lot over weeks and, and months and years, but we have to grasp what it actually means. You see, the only way we can be obedient to the Word is if we're intimate with it where we're in it, studying it, talking about it, applying it to our lives. And let's face it, there are going to be certain things in the Word of God that, that we don't understand sometimes, uh, that we don't get sometimes. It seems to be over our heads. And I think that's always going to be so until we spiritually get to the place where we've learned it. Every single one of us started out in kindergarten or first grade or, or whatever. And let's face it, not all of us knew how to put, you know, the our consonants and our vowels together and actually create words. And not all of us learned how to put those words together and create sentences. And not all of us knew how to uh, put those sentences together into paragraphs and into documents. And when we first started doing it, uh, they were rather simplistic. And then later on, they get a little bit more difficult. Why? Because we've learned over time how to use them. That's what happens in your spiritual life. You, you, you can't just automatically have all that you should have when you get saved. It takes time to spend time in the Word and allow God to sanctify you from the inside out so that you are applying what you're learning. But you won't do any of that until you are learning. So that's why spending time in the Word is so important. And so we know it, we live by it, we live our, li we, we live our lives by it, and, and we don't compromise. Friends, this is the only way we can actually be baptized by the Spirit and be sanctified by the Spirit. Basically, the Bible tells us that if we're not obedient to the Word, then we can't possibly be baptized by the Spirit. You can't be baptized by the Spirit because you're refusing to be obedient and allow the Word to teach you. And what is the Word? It's the written Word, and it's the Christ who was the Word in the beginning and has always been with God. came to reveal Himself in humanity through a human birth, immaculate conception, and after that, gave us commandments while on earth, and then continues to give us commandments and discernment by the power of His Spirit that's within us. It's, it's a full circle thing. That's how the Word teaches you. His Spirit gives you discernment as you read and learn by it. And every now and then, we have those what I call God moments or aha moments, where I didn't understand something, and I'm reading a difficult scripture, and all of a sudden, God says, hey, and you're like, oh, I think I get it. And sometimes it's because of a situation that you're involved in. Sometimes somebody explains it. Sometimes it just sort of comes to you. Either way, those are God or aha moments. And the interesting thing for me is if we, if we aren't baptized by the, spirit, by the Spirit in getting that discernment, then either we were never actually saved or we've lost our salvation or we're in the process of losing it. Now, I know that our uh, Calvinistic friends would disagree with that, but that's fine. The interesting thing is, that's what the Bible reads to me. And I've known people who claim to be Christian, but their lives don't reflect anything in the Scripture or very little. And that tells me two things. Either they're not saved or they're not being obedient. Okay, so 
There's no way around that. The second thing I think that's important that we understand is that being baptized in the Spirit changes us from the inside out. And I want to get real personal and real intimate here with you today because I want to talk with you about what the characteristics of a person baptized by the Spirit look like. Because everybody wants to know, well, how do I know for sure that I'm baptized by the Spirit? I think you're going to know, and I think other people around you are going to know. But either way, let's spell some of those things out. And by all means, are none of these things exhaustive? I, I, I didn't list everything, and I'm sure there's things I left out. Either way, these are some paramount things that I think need to be there. Number one, if you're baptized by the Spirit, you're going to have a deepened personal relationship with God. Now, I mean, that's, that's just going to come with, with this idea. When you receive the gift, the Holy Spirit is going to draw you just that much closer to God through Christ since He is now living where you really reside, which is in your soul. See, a deeper relationship with God will always come with being baptized by the Spirit. You're also, secondly, going to have a deeper hunger for the Word of God. In fact, there are going to be points or times when you just can't get enough of it. Like It's like you're learning and God is changing you, and you're like, oh my gosh, and you, and you, you can't get away from it. And so you continue to go deeper and stronger into the Word. In fact, um, since you uh, will now be brought much closer to the Lord as a result of having this gift, the first thing the Holy Spirit is going to want to do with you is increase your knowledge and your base knowledge about Him. Because the more about Him you know and understand, the more like Him you can be. Because now you have a model. You have the plan. You have uh, the cutout, so to speak. And so you can be like Him. If you don't know who Christ is, or you don't know what He looks like, or you don't know how He acts, pretty hard to follow Him and be like Him. So that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do, is draw you close to Him so that you know what it is. The Bible is the only true and accurate source that we have uh, to find out everything that we can about Him. And it's the only thing that we have that will teach us about God, what will teach us about the Christ, what will teach us about the Holy Spirit. And so that's going to give us a deeper desire to study the Word so we know what we're talking about here. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten something new and I wanted to use it or put it together or install it in something, and I, decided, I was so excited about doing it that I didn't read the instructions, and I found out that that was probably a mistake, because you find out that all of a sudden, it doesn't look like it should. I remember a couple, uh, well, many years ago, uh, we, uh, <laughs> we got uh, the boys uh, some, some uh, toys for Christmas, uh, and I uh, opened up the box and started putting them together, and I remember Jeffrey looked at me and said, you know, Dad, it doesn't look like it does on the box. <laughs> There's probably a reason why it didn't, because Dad didn't read the instructions and probably should have done that. Can't put something together, can't make it look like it's supposed to, unless you know what it is, why it is, how it operates. And so that's what God's going to do, draw you into a deeper hunger with the Word of God. We'll also receive a greater understanding of the Word. You begin to understand what you're reading, so you can start to get some of these things uh, and these incredible truths working into your personal life. I think that's paramount. I think some Christians, especially newborn Christians, don't understand half of what they're reading when they first try to study the Bible. And so you're going to find that the Holy Spirit will begin to illuminate your mind as to what certain Scripture verses mean and how they can apply to your daily life and to your walk with the Lord. So this is, in my opinion, a direct spiritual and supernatural revelation and an illumination that will be coming directly 
from the Lord unto you. Fourthly, you'll receive an amazing anointing on your life. And I, I know as Christians, we desire an anointing oftentimes. And the anointing that we're going to receive is the power of the Holy Spirit, which begins to work through you to accomplish whatever it is that God wants to do within you. Because see, if we don't let God do that, the desire that we have in the kingdom will be our desire. And so we'll step back from what God's trying to teach us or what He's enlightening us with, and we'll begin to think of what we consider are good things that everybody would say are good things to do in the church. The problem with it is, what if God didn't call you to do those things? What if God wants something else from you? See, therein lies a danger. So that's why the anointing helps us to understand what we're supposed to do. And not only that, He'll give you the authority and the power to accomplish them when you couldn't do those things on your own. I've seen God do that a gazillion times, especially with me. You know, there's, I'm thinking, that's a daunting task. There's no way I can do it. And God says, well, no, in your own strength, you won't. But if I have my anointing on you, well, now it's not you doing it. It's me doing it through you. You know, my powers are limited, but God's powers are not limited. In fact, He's infinite. So the Spirit helps us as we establish priority in our life. And priority has got to be God every time. And I know in life we sometimes believe, and maybe a lot of times believe, that God is our top priority when in fact He is not. Because if you, and I've told you before, if you will take, uh, uh, make a list uh, and, and hour to hour, minute to minute, manifest and write down what you did during the day and during the night from the time you get up to the time you go to sleep, I think, and maybe you don't want the answer to this because I know sometimes I don't, you will find out just how much time how much attention, how much working on your life that you give to God. Because you'll find that there's an awful lot of good things in your life, such as your family, uh, your spouse, children, you know, parents, whatever, your job, you know, your, your uh, extracurricular activities, uh, your hobbies, other people. These things take a greater priority than God does a lot and probably a lot more than we want to admit sometimes. So you got to prioritize godly things first, and then God will help you get the other things in life done that He wants to accomplish. In other words, the Holy Spirit can help uh, make your life a lot less stressful and a lot easier to manage, I would say, if you learn how to follow His leading on a daily basis. Uh, again, not only can that happen, but we struggle to let go of control, you know. And so... Uh, because we have an idea how we want to do it, when we want to do it, and we think sometimes we know more about how to do it than God does. But if we have a step back, allow God to enlighten us on it, it will be done uh, more efficiently, it'll be done more properly, and with a greater success rate because God wants us to succeed, not only spiritually, but in everything. A fifth thing that the Holy Spirit is going to do uh, when you're anointed and when you're baptized in the Spirit is to improve your prayer life. And, and I don't know that anybody would ever say, well, I, I, I think I'm pretty good there. I don't think I need to improve it. <laughs> How could we not want to improve our prayer life, our communication with the Lord? I mean, isn't our prayer life the key to our relationship with Him? has to be. I mean, listen, I, I have people come in, you know, uh, for counseling all the time, you know, whether it's marital counseling or relational counseling, and most of the time, 
the biggest problem they have is either a lack of communication or the wrong communication, right? It's like, well, I might have done that or I might have said that, but I only did that because you said this over here. Well, <laughs> listen, what you did or said has no bearing on what someone did or said to you. You get to choose how you're going to respond, and you can respond negatively or you can respond positively. You can do it with wisdom or foolishness. It's up to you. And I can't tell you how many times, even in the last week, I said some things that came out not in the manner that I expected them to or wanted them to, and they were taken wrongly. And guess what? Somebody says, wow, did you really mean that? And I immediately regretted saying it because there could have been a better way. And it's been said to me that maybe you should think a little more before you speak. I wonder if maybe somebody's not said it to you. Maybe God's the one telling you. So our prayer life is wickedly important. Now, you, you're going to learn how to pray in the Spirit, which means that both you and, 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 and Him who is within you will be praying to God the Father on the same request at the same time. You know, you ever, you ever prayed before and felt like, oh my goodness, you know, this isn't working out. I mean, I'm praying, but God, you know, that's not what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell me to pray for. It's almost like I'm praying on my own here. And that's a bad place to be. God wants to bring you and the Spirit back together so that your prayers are the same as they're being offered up into the Father. And you'll also find that with His presence and power now mixing in with your own personal prayers, you'll find yourself starting to get more personal and your personal prayers are answered on, on, a, on a deeper basis. And you'll start to feel and sense a stronger connection to, to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit will begin to guide your prayers so that they're proper, properly offered up unto the Lord. And your priorities and your desires are going to be aligned with His. You see, this all starts to come full circle. And the results, my friends, are always going to be much more proof when you see God's hand working and accomplishing things in your life and the many victories that you're going to start to see and realize through the answered prayers that God sends back to you. I, I have to tell you, I would much rather have my prayers answered than God kind of putting in them on hold, and sometimes He has. So I think a prayer life increase is a good thing. Six, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And when I say all truth, I want you to understand that there's a big difference between what you think truth is and what God says truth is. Right? I mean, there's, there's, right? And we all have a different opinion about what's truth and, what, and what's right and what isn't. You know, uh, I remember, you know, I'm a, I'm a video person. So, uh, you know, uh, in Men in Black, uh, you know, he, they're, they're talking about um, what we know. And Tommy Lee Jones, you know, uh, tells his new protege, he says, and, and you, five minutes ago, you were certain that we were alone on this planet. And before that, he tells, tells him things that everybody knows. For years and years and years, people just knew that the earth was flat until we found out it wasn't. And so you see, friends, there's a lot of things in life that we just know that we find out later are not truth. And God wants us to know what real truth is. By renewing our minds in the process of sanctification, you begin to live a true spirit-led life. God wants to put the right thinking that He molds into your mind, where you can contemplate and calculate in your mind the right way, with the right tools. The Word and the Spirit working together accomplish this. The Word 
and the Spirit work together, accomplishing this happening in your life. The enemy wants to put selfish, foolish, and wrong thinking into our minds. I know that because when I'm trying to think the right thing, but my 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 own mind and my body want to think something else, you know, the Spirit's wooing me this way, and the enemy's over here going, oh, but don't you want to, won't you, won't you feel better if you thought this or what, if you did this? <laughs> but that doesn't make it right, you see. And I don't, I, even this, this past week, several people have come to me and said, you know, I had this thinking uh, when it had to do with corona, you know, or whether you have to wear a mask or whether you have to, you know, social distancing or, or, or whether you have to take these precautions or not. And, and they'll see some people doing it and then not other people are doing it. And they think that's not right. Why can't everybody be forced to do it? And, and the, the idea is that people have differences of opinions or sometimes the workplace will force certain departments to do it. And another department who has a different supervisor doesn't have to do it. And so they're like, why, why, why don't they have to do it or whatever? And so we have these ideas in our heads. And so we think, well, if they don't, they're not doing it or I don't have to, or why should I have to do it? And so they think, well, I'm just not going to do it then. And then they find out that the Holy Spirit, if they're a Christian, their Holy, the Holy Spirit is in them and starts to say, listen, is that the right attitude to have? And I, no less than four people this past week told me that. Four people that they had to have an attitude adjustment. And the only way they were going to have that is that the Holy Spirit started speaking to them and they put the enemy aside. Because if we don't have that spirit in us, then what we want to do as a human will, will play out and we'll be disobedient and we'll be uh, uh, insubordinate to the authority placed over us. And that's a poor attitude. And this is what God's talking about. So have to remember, when we're baptized with the Spirit, this is part of the transformation that takes place with God molding, God molding us, shaping and transforming us into a holy person where our thoughts start to give way to His thoughts because His thoughts are always the right ones. And that's what He's talking about. The seventh thing that's going to happen when we're baptized with the Spirit is we're going to be filled with the nine fruits of the Spirit, and God will then bestow many of the nine gifts of the Spirit within us. Now, this is a big deal because there's nine fruits of the Spirit and there's nine gifts of the Spirit. Everybody gets and should manifest the nine fruits of the Spirit. You understand that? Every Christian gets and should manifest the nine fruits of the Spirit. And all nine of the gifts of the Spirit are manifested in certain people at different times. Now, I might not have all nine of them. In fact, I don't know anybody that does have all nine of them, although it could happen because He's God and there's nothing He can't do. But more likely, we, we manifest or have or we're gifted with one, two, three, four, five, who knows? A few, and maybe only one, maybe several. But God determines when and how we're going to have them. And sometimes those gifts manifest themselves in us for good. And sometimes they're just for a, a short period of time for a reason, for a particular event or something. So God does these things at His leisure, and it's up to Him. And I've seen some people that prayed for them and received them. So the, we don't understand completely the gifts of the Spirit, but we sure do understand the fruits of the Spirit because they're all laid out and listed for us, and that's what we have to understand. In fact, the nine specific fruits of the Spirit are joy, love, peace, self-control, faithfulness, patience, kindness, goodness, and gentleness. And I would say that all of us could probably use a few more of those and maybe a greater degree of those things, a deeper understanding and use of those things. 
But in addition to these, God will add such qualities as boldness, courage, confidence, and passion. You know, those aren't fruits of the Spirit, but I would think that the fruits of the Spirit kind of embolden those things and manifest those things in us. We should all have those as well. Now, the nine gifts of the Spirit are knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, the discernment of the spirits, and the working of miracles, as well as the gifts of healing and the gift of faith. Now, not all of us have all of those things. Some of those things are manifested to some degree in all of us, and again, for a season or for a lifetime, or even less than that. We don't know. We just know that we have them. Now, any one or more of these gifts are going to be able to be manifested through any one of us at any time to help us to either, uh, for us to help ourselves or someone else, because that's how God operates. And the only chance that any of these things will be in our life is if, friends, we are baptized by the Spirit. Can't have the gifts of the Spirit, can't have the manifestation of the fruits of the Spirit unless the Spirit, get this, is in you, right? Everybody has probably taken some type of allergy medication or some type of medication that they call time release. I never understood that because once it goes into your system, it dissolves, okay? So once it dissolves, it automatically goes into the bloodstream. Now, some of it happens full force when it gets in there, and some of it you have to keep taking more. But I always wondered, well, how can they tell it to release at certain intervals when it's already dissolved? I'll never understand that. But that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. It's almost like a pulse. Like, He manifests certain things in you at the time that they're necessary. And I've also noticed that whatever uh, uh, gift that I have, sometimes God enhances it so I'm able to use it in a greater and stronger way. That's just how God operates, and only He determines that. But it can't be there unless the Spirit's in you. has to be in there. Just like the medication won't work in your body unless you take it, neither will the Holy Spirit work in you unless He's there. And you can't get that unless you get saved. That's just the way it works. Okay, number eight, we will also receive more communication from God. And friends, I have to tell you, I, I can't get enough communication from God. I want God to tell me everything. I want God to tell me this and that and the other, what's going to happen, what's not going to happen, what I should do, what I shouldn't do, how I should react. I want Him to tell me all of the things that in my humanness I can't know. Does anybody not want God to communicate with them more? I would doubt that you don't want God to communicate with, with you more. In fact, God wants to increase your spiritual intelligence so that you can see things more clearly and even be shown some things to come. Everybody wants to know about the future. Uh, again, people always want pastors to talk about revelation so that they can see what's going to happen, you know, in, in the coming months and years. I understand that. I get it. But sometimes I think we want to know what's going to happen for the wrong reasons, you know? So we'll, we'll get into that more when we study Revelation together, uh, but that's, that's a fact. We want to know what's going to happen, and maybe that's not why God wants us to know it. Either way, uh, I know that our spiritual intelligence is important. In fact, God likes to super, supernaturally communicate to His children in a, in, in a wide variety of ways. You see, the Spirit will teach you how to recognize when God is speaking to you. Because if, 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 if we get this other voice talking to us, Sometimes you automatically recognize because it's outside the, the fruits of the Spirit that that's not God speaking. Sometimes it's a voice that you don't necessarily hear audibly. 
Sometimes it's through other people who are, you know, gabbing in your ear, trying to tell you what to do. And it's interesting to me that we will oftentimes pick people to go to who we think will give us the answer we want to hear. In other words, so-and-so did this to me or something such, such and such happened, and so what do you think I should do about that? You've already decided in your mind or had an idea about what, what you want to do or how you want to handle it, and it's no, it's no secret and it's no just happenstance or just, you know, just, just happened out of the blue that you chose a particular person to give you advice on it because you want to be told what you want to do so that you can, in fact, do what you do and say, well, so-and-so agreed with me. It's almost like more people that agree with you, the more credence it brings to what you want to do. Well, God doesn't operate that way. In fact, God will typically tell us just the opposite. So we don't, we don't want to hear that. And I've done it before. I've told God, you know, talk to the hand, <laughs> right? I, I'm not going to say that to Him. But when I listen to other people and not Him, that's what I'm doing. And so God says, no, 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 I want to have communication with you, and I want to increase your spiritual intelligence. So I want you to understand who, what, who's speaking to you, whether it's me or whether it's the enemy or whether it's somebody being used by the enemy. And God can use other people, you know, to speak, you know, Him to speak through them to you too. But we don't always want to receive it, you know. That's what God is trying to say. So one of the most amazing things that I think will happen uh, to you over the course of time is that you begin to start to see things through the eyes of the Spirit, not your own eyes. That's what's called opening your spiritual eyes. That's what happened, you know, on the road uh, to uh, Emmaus with the two disciples. Jesus opened their spiritual eyes they saw. It's what God did in the Old Testament with uh, Elisha and his servant. He opened his spiritual eyes. You could see God does that to us as humans even today. He opens our spiritual eyes. And so we start to see things as God sees them, not how man sees them. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will guide us again into all truth. And one of the ways He does this is by allowing you to see things from His viewpoint and from His perspective. That's the important thing. You don't always like it, but you'll see it. And this is how God shows us things to come. The reason He likes to do this is so that He can or we can properly prepare ourselves for something that might be coming down the road, whether it's good or bad. I, I, I know that, you know, sometimes I say, well, I wasn't prepared for this. But the fact is, if I think about it and look back, well, God sort of began to prepare me for that a long time or maybe even a short time before it actually transpired. So God is always preparing us for things, even though we might not necessarily recognize it at the time. And so God wants to continue to do that in us. And He's going to do this in a wide variety of ways. And don't forget that the Bible always tells us that God wants to what? Renew our minds. So you can't just think with your heart. That's what a lot of Christians want to do. They want to use their emotion to be a Christian. That's only, that's only half, half of the equation. Mind has to be there too. Mind and emotion go together to make us well-rounded, balanced. God gave us both for discernment. Remember that. Number nine, God will strengthen and protect you as you get closer to Him. That can only happen if His Spirit is in you, if you're baptized by the Spirit. Now, it's God's job to keep us protected and from straying too far from the straight and narrow road that He wants all of us to travel on. Did you hear what I said? That's God's job to do that. Now, you can refuse what He's telling you, you know, and let me give you an example of that. How many times... 
have you had on your GPS and it's telling you to go a certain way and you think that doesn't seem right, so you ignore it, right? And let's face it, sometimes the GPS is wrong. It just happened to my mom and brother yesterday. It happens. Sometimes the GPS takes you a way that isn't the most expedient route and sometimes the wrong route. And there's a variety of reasons why that happens. Maybe uh, it, it read the address a little a little wrongly, or maybe it's not programmed correctly, or maybe the satellites aren't working properly. Either way, that can happen. And still other times, the GPS is correct, and you're wrong. You see? It just happens. It's a, it's a life thing. Technology is great, and it's sometimes not so great. But when it comes to God, we have to understand that His job is to keep us protected and be on this road, the road that He wants us to be on. And we, if, if we're not on it, we've got a problem. Because we want to stray off the road that God has placed in front of us sometimes because this road looks better or we think this one is the right one when God says, no, it's here. You can't know what that is unless the Spirit has baptized you and is in you. You'll pick about any road that suits you or you think will benefit you in some manner, but that's not God doing it. Some people, friends, uh, don't understand that God wants to keep them center, uh, properly centered and balanced in their walk and others seem to want to get too far away from Him, and they end up falling out of balance. That's a serious problem. And let's face it, we've probably all been there a little bit unbalanced in our spirituality at times. And God has a way of drawing us back and letting us know that we've done it. And when you get out of balance with God, uh, people begin to be rather flaky in their walk with Him. You know, it, it, it's sort of Christian, and it's sort of not Christian. It's like we've got one foot in Christianity and another foot in the world. And a lot of people try to straddle that line. And Christ said, you can't. You will either love one and hate the other, or you won't be a Christian at all. That's basically what He said. So we have to be sure that uh, we, don't, we want to make the best representative for God that we can when we're trying to witness to others. Because when we do that, as a result, we end up chasing more people away from God rather than leading people to Him. So balance of staying on the road is very important, and God helps you to do that by the power of His Spirit in you, and He will strengthen and protect you as you get closer. And lastly, God will raise our compassion as He manifests Himself in us as we become more, and li more like Christ every single day. The more He manifests Himself in us, the more like Him we're going to be. What happens with that is you'll begin to feel God's sorrow and pain for others and for their conditions. You'll become more compassionate toward people, right? And God begins to show up in you when this happens, and you begin to be a sounding board, a good friend, and a source of strength and witness for others, and you'll begin to notice yourself getting goosebumps, right, when the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in you, and, and the Bible uh, seems to say to us that God is going to do things that we, we can't believe, and, and, and it says that it's being drunk in the Spirit where the Spirit begins to just overtake you, and you know that it's not you doing it. You're like, where'd that come from? Woo. You know, see, I just got him. I just got him. Because I realize that God is saying, I'm working in you, it's not you. Okay, I did it. And when that happens, what can you do but get goosebumps? I'm getting it again right now. Because I know what that feeling is like, and I enjoy it, and so do you. So it's called being drunk in the Spirit. And that results in the Holy Spirit controlling you in ways that you never thought was possible or you could even believe. So there are a variety of supernatural ways that God manifests Himself in those baptized with the Spirit. He does it in visions, sometimes dreams, prophecies, other supernatural signs within our circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that all of our dreams, good or bad, come from the Lord. I want to be careful with that. 
Some people seem to say, I had a terrible dream. I think God was talking to me. No, probably not. Okay? God doesn't typically manifest Himself in terrible dreams like that. Sometimes it might be coming from somewhere else, and other times it's, it's just, you know, part of our chemical makeup. A lot of times it depends. You know, people say, well, you know, I watched uh, a, a bad movie or, you know, a, a violent movie, and then you have bad dreams that night. Well, yeah, you put that in your psyche. It's a psychological thing. Or a lot of times uh, people will play video games. I, I used to say just kids, but not just kids watch video, play video games anymore. Um, but people play video games, and guess what? All of a sudden, they start playing them in their head. When their mind's trying to shut down, it's sleep, but it can't because it, it's, it's wound up. So these are a phenomena we don't always understand. So be careful thinking that every dream comes from God because it doesn't. Either way, uh, God still uses them at times. But you're going to know the difference when the Spirit is in you. Maybe not right away, but you will eventually. And all the benefits, my friends, um, are important, and they all are needed in order for you to live a victorious and overcoming life in the Lord. So those 10 things are some of the things that are going to manifest themselves in us when the Holy Spirit is baptized within us. Lastly, uh, being baptized in the Spirit will bring unity to God's people. And I want to close with this because it's very important. You see, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that in order to walk worthy of our calling in Christ, members of the church body have to work diligently to keep the spirit of peace which holds us together. Why? Well, why is this, is this unity of the church such a major doctrinal concern for Paul? Well, I, th I think there's a reason why. If it's work, and especially if, if it's a work in need of diligence, then there must be some, something larger at stake when unity in the church is failing. God wants us to understand that when unity fails, the whole church fails. The whole, whether it's just this church or the, or the church that we're united to or the church over here, the whole church fails when we're disunified. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work, friends. So we have to understand that the kingdom of God is called the church, and when there's disunity, we're all failing. It's important that we grasp it. Just like when one pastor or priest falls, it reflects on all the rest of us. It's a fact. We could say, well, I didn't do it. No, but it reflects upon you because that's your profession. That's your calling. So the same thing is true when the church begins to fail in unity. It affects everybody. Unity of the body brings testimony to the unity of the Trinity. One Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. In fact, unity in the body of Christ testifies to the unity of God's eternal three-in-one. In other words, they are all together, all saying the same thing. And when we're unified in the Spirit, that means we will also attest to everything that all parts of the Trinity are saying. Jesus said, I am in the Father, and you are in me. And as you are in me, you also, through me, become part of the Father. We're all together. Unity is very important in the church, and it's mirrored in the church body. Unity of the body also brings testimony to the unity of the gospel. So this is where I think we have a struggle. And I'm just going to kind of paraphrase here on my notes because we're starting to run out of time here. Basically, the Word of God says certain things. Why then does one church think it says this, and another church think it says this, and another church think it says this? Why do some believers within that church think it says this, and others think it says something completely different? How can that be possible? I've asked that question for literally eons, and I don't have the answer, other than the fact that somebody has got to be wrong in their interpretation. But that shouldn't be if the same Spirit is within all of us. 
And I think, friends, what the problem really is, is that we start to form our own opinion rather than actually spending time in the Word to get the truth. And it goes right back to the other part. The Word of God is what molds you, and the Spirit gives you discernment as to what you just read. If you're not reading it and practicing it, of course, you're going to come up with all these other ideas that might be popular or maybe be more easy to believe in or practice, you know, because it's what you want or it's what somebody else wants. And there's a variety of reasons why. And I could tell you some of what those things are, but I don't need to because it won't matter. The fact is, when we have differences of opinion about what the Scripture says, somebody's not spending enough time in the Word there. And so what I've decided to do and have been doing as a practice is when someone has a different opinion about what the Word of, or what the Word of God seems to say or what a Christian ought to believe, I take them right back and I say, I can understand why you might think that, but also, you need to understand why I think something different because the Bible says it right here. Did you read this? And when you do, what does it seem to say to you? And a lot of times they just shake their head, well, I, I, I know what I believe. Okay, but what did the Scripture just say? You're not answering my question. So I think, friends, that that's important that we do that, that we say, what does God actually say right here? Not what you think, not what you feel, not what you want to believe, not what popular ideals are, but what is God actually saying? When we're in the Word of God and the same Spirit is within us, friends, it will bring unity in us as it relates to the gospel. And we'll all start to believe, think, and practice the exact same things. That's what God wants to have happen. And when believers in the church are divided, it communicates to the world that the message of salvation in Jesus Christ is subject to amendments or, or, or discontinuity. That you can think and believe anything you want and still be saved. The Bible doesn't say that. And I know we don't want to believe it. I know we don't like it, but that's what it says. In fact, Jesus said so in John 17 when He talked about being together in the Father and us in Him. So our lack of unity as Christians affects the world's understanding and the testimony of our Christ. Lastly, unity of the body affects the church's ability to be productive for the kingdom of God. Do you know how much disunity in the church keeps the church from being powerful. It's almost like this church, you know, in any one church, this group is over here wanting to do this, and this group over here is wanting to do that. And, and, and you know, we don't, we don't want to uh, lend our, our resources to something that's different that somebody else is doing because we want to do our thing over here. And that's okay, but when we're not working together, the church isn't united and it's not powerful. And what about this church versus that church? Um, what, if, what if we want to do our own thing here, uh, but, my, but my friend, you know, Billy at the bridge, you know, wants to do something else, and, and it's contrary to Jeff out at New Life, wants to do something that's different from me and, and, and my, my friend Scott at Maryland, and, and we're, all, we're all different, you know? What if, what if we work in contrary opportunity together? What happens is the church is separated and people pick and choose based on their own personal desires. But even though we're a little bit different in our makeup sometimes, if we all have a common goal, and that is to get people realized into the kingdom of God, that got saved, and that God is making a difference in their lives, and they're spending time in the Word, and they're being obedient to the Word, and the Spirit manifests Himself in them, and we start to touch our world and make a difference, wow, if all of our churches started doing that rather than 
looking at the differences that we have, we might actually do something in the world today where it's desperately necessary. And that's the point, you see? Unity in the body makes the church productive in the kingdom. And that, friends, is what God wants us to do. In a church age that is infected by cancerous plight of introspective preference and tradition-driven faith, the body of Christ, friends, is and always will be in danger of either misrepresenting the Word of God and God to the world or not doing it at all. And that, friends, is a danger. So we have to make sure that we keep the spirit of peace binding us together, that we are together so we don't risk painting false pictures of the Godhead, the gospel message, and the nature and productiveness of Christ's mission through the church. Because in the end, we're all in the same mission, even though we might practice it differently. We all have the same mission, and that's to bring people in the kingdom of God, period. So as we close today, friends, understand that God called us into eternity, but only if we'll accept it. Only if we'll accept it. And when we do, He baptizes us by the power of the Spirit and gives us authority. He gives us power. He gives us protection and gifts that we wouldn't otherwise have. That's what God does. And I personally don't want to step outside my door without it. And I'll even go deeper than that. I don't want to even get out of bed without it. I don't want to do anything outside of those things that God wants to bestow upon me. And when it happens, we're united not only with God, but with others whom He has also anointed alongside of us. This, in a nutshell, is called the church. doesn't matter what name's on the front door. It belongs to Christ. It's His. And it's very important to recognize that surrender and obedience is what's going to change us from the inside out, and that this change is the only way that God's people can be unified together while we're still, still here on this earth. You know, friends, God not only expects it, He demands it. His authority in our lives brings it to fruition. And I began to think about that this morning. I thought, okay, so what would it take then? What would it look like? What, what would it take? For all of us today, whether you're here in the sanctuary today, whether you're watching from a home and you belong to our church or you, you, you don't, whether you're a guest from another church just watching this morning, what would it take all of us as Christians to surrender all things unto Him? What would it take? To not only experience this amazing power that's within us, but to realize it as we continue to be in harmony with other Christians alongside of us. That, friends, if we did that, would bring a cohesiveness together, regardless of what church we actually attended. It would bring an authority and power to the kingdom of God that the world could not deny. And that, friends, is what Christ is trying to do in us. And that's why the Spirit is not only working in us, but it's recognizable in us. That's why we have baptism of the Spirit within us. Let's pray together on that today. Father in heaven, how grateful we are. We're grateful, Father, because we know that you are the only reason that we have life. You are the only reason that we have eternity. And Father, we know that there are certain things within us that's contrary to the Spirit, and you eradicate those by the manifestation of the Spirit within us every single day. It begins at salvation, and it continues to grow through sanctification, getting closer, more like, and deeper in you each and every single day, really each and every single moment. So, Father, I pray that you would deepen 
yourself within us today, that the power of your word would be manifested in us more and more every single day, that we would prioritize the things that are important, that we would allow the uh, fruits of the Spirit to be manifested within us more and more every single moment, and that you would bestow upon us the gifts of the Spirit that you want each and every one of us to have and the, the, the degree to which you want us to have it. And we pray, Father, that that would bring us together as a, as a church of Christ as a whole in unity and power for the kingdom of Christ. Help us to transform Terre Haute and turn it upside down for you. And may we all come together as we continue to venture out and bring the world to a place that you want it to be so that when you return, more people are with you than those that are not. We know in Scripture that there's going to be more goats than there will be sheep, more going to hell than there will be to heaven. Father, help us to change that. Help us to turn that the other direction so that it becomes more and more sheep and less and less goats. We, Father, know that you're the only way that can happen. Thank you for the Spirit you've given us. Thank you for the gift of it. Thank you for the manifestation we have of it in us. Would you lead, guide, and direct us and be with us in all things? For we're eternally grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, just a couple of quick announcements. I want you to understand that in the next uh, few days, we're going to be discussing as a, as a church leadership when we're going to open the church. Uh, at this point, um, I'm looking at May the 24th, uh, which is the first day that uh, the governor opens up all things in the state. Um, I know that churches can meet starting next week if we want to, uh, but I also want to make sure that we're being wise about it, that we thought about it, and that we're being safe to do it. Uh, this is working for now. It's not ideal, but it is working. So uh, bear with us whether you agree or disagree on how we ought to do it. Uh, I just want to make sure that we do it the best way we can um, and that people understand why we're doing what we're doing. So uh, it might be on the 17th. I'm not sure, but I got to get the ministry team together and the board together. We'll come up with an idea together. We'll make a decision. And as soon as we know, you will know. Uh, we're going to get it out there right away. But whatever we do, friends, whatever day we happen, I want it to be a really big celebration when we come together and we're glad to be here with one another, we have great worship. I want to spend a lot of time in corporate worship that day, probably a, a much, much, much shorter message and a lot more worship. Why? Because God is still on the throne and He's allowed us to come back and meet together in our sanctuary, and that's important. So again, be safe, be healthy, be spiritual. We'll see you again next time. Take care.